This episode of It's That Episode is sponsored by Audible.com. If you are a fan of audio of any sorts, audio books, audio things, audio other things, on any device, iPhones, other iPhones, other Blackberries, other things, then you can get a book on me at Audible.com. If you go to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. You can get a book on me and a free 30-day trial. Um, my guest this week is Matt Myra and we watch Pawn Stars, but we also talk about Matt's experience uh, working at a funeral home. So why don't you check out the book Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can get that on me by going to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan, C-R-A-I-G, R-O-W-I-N. Uh, let's get to the show. Well, it's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over my apartment. We watch any TV show they choose. We watch it. We talk about it. We talk about uh, a bunch of other crap. Um, as has been for the last couple of weeks, I'm not at my apartment. That's all f- part of the fake intro, and I haven't decided to change it. Um, I'm at my guest's apartment, and I'm a guest of his. My guest and my host is uh, from the Nerdist podcast and from the James Bonding con- uh, podcast, as well as from the uh, Rest in Peace attack of the show, is Matt Myra. Welcome. Hello, Craig. Matt, to your own... Thanks for having me in my apartment. Yeah, and thank you seriously for having me, because I am I am legitimately staying at your apartment right now. Yeah, I had an office. I said, I'm not using it for anything constructive. Why not have Craig sleep in it? And I've been very constructive. I've, uh... Yeah, I'm glad. You got the, you're using the desk, yeah, my... which rarely gets touched. Yeah. You're sleeping in there, which ne- has never happened. Right. And uh, my guitars are just looking at you. Yeah, you've got a lot of guitars. I sure do. And uh, and that is a nice segue into what we're watching, uh, is, is yeah. the guitars, because uh, why don't you say what TV show we're uh, watching? We're watching one of my all-time favorites, uh, History Channel's very own Pawn Stars. Yeah, so this is a show, I've watched this as well, and the reason I said it was a good segue is because this one specifically has a guitar in it. Yeah. Um, is we, I've seen the show before. I've watched it before. It's one of those easy to watch shows where it's sort of, it's uh, a pawn, uh, a pawn shop in Las Vegas. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> where else? The gold and silver pawn shop. Um, not the Atlantic city one, which is a hardcore pawn. Hardcore pawn is Detroit, my friend. Oh, right. Right. That's where the real hardcore pawning happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is much more depressing than this show. Hardcore pawn is, uh, so much more depressing that like I've, I've watched that show and I've, I've said out loud and to anyone who would listen that if, if the human race were to end and all that alien archaeologists found was a DVD of Hardcore Pawn, we deserved it. Yes, that's true. Also, I'd be like, who is burning DVDs of that, of that <laughs> yeah. show? Just stream it online or yeah. watch it on True TV and DVR it. Um, yeah, that's a terrible show to watch. It I really feel is. dirty every time I watch it. But uh, yet, somehow, I still, I don't know, I still watch it. That one, though, that one feels sadder. To me, than than Pawn Stars, Pawn Stars. Uh, it never seems like anybody's hard up for money, and that's yeah. why they're pawning. It seems like they just want to have a night on the town. Yeah, 
And that's that for me is a little easier to digest than the Detroit situation, which if we've all seen Eight Mile, uh, it's not great. Sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of good rappers, but yeah. not a lot of uh, good. Yeah, you uh, got your Kid Rocks. Yeah, not a lot of good infrastructure there. Um, <laughs> no, there's plenty of infrastructure. It's just unused. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, it's. Uh, it's fairly depressing. So why did you why did you choose uh, Pawn Stars? What's your? Well, uh, I I genuinely enjoy uh, Pawn Stars. I watch it a lot. Uh, if anyone's hearing a chair be loud, it's it's a relax the back uh, chair, which I highly recommend everyone go out and grab. Which I've never heard of until yeah until he came here. He uh, it got referenced in the writers room at, at midnight, and uh, and then he comes to my house, and and there it is, a relax the back chair. And it was one of those things we both work on at midnight, and when it was mentioned in the room, it was a joke that got a big response yeah. and i sort of had to i Take didn't like response. i had to play along like i wasn't laughing like great one but i was like yeah uh-huh and then i didn't really ask until i was comfortably in your apartment <laughs> but he got it uh yeah but pawn stars is something that i first found out about during a marathon in 2000 I think it was 2010. It was a Christmas marathon. The Boston Marathon. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was the uh, Christmas Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, oh. And uh, <laughs> it's okay. I'm from Boston, everyone. I've donated a lot of money. Uh, I've seen the marathon. Uh, there's no way out of this. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, it's a show that I sort of fell in love with through, uh, through a marathon session of, of uh, it must have been must have been eight hours. must have been eight hours of shows. That's not surprising. And I just sat there, and it's just so watchable. It's very watchable. And there are... So it's one pawn store, and it's like a family on pawn store. Yeah. What are the names of the guys, if you can remember? You got yourselves your... You got Rick. Mm-hmm. You got the old man. Mm-hmm. You got Big Hoss, mm-hmm. who's Rick's son, the old man's grandson. And Chumley. Chumley is the uh, comedic... Uh, the foil, if you will, yeah, for the, everyone in the pod. In he's the like store. the dummy. That's sort of his uh, yeah. role. And what's interesting, and I, maybe I'll bring this up after we watch it. You know, actually, forget it. I'm going to bring it up while before we watch it, just so I want you to be aware of this while you're watching. Great. Uh, if you follow them on Instagram, which I do, I follow Rick mm-hmm. and I follow Chumley on Instagram. Their lives now are ridiculous. Ridiculous uh, meaning rich. Yeah, Chumley has uh, a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, uh, a Land Rover, a mansion, uh, a rejected Kardashian girlfriend. Um, like uh, meaning that she looks like she could have been in the family. Oh man, uh, Rick, big the bald guy who owns the store. He recently on uh, Instagram, I saw photos of his uh, wedding, where almost every Instagram comment was. Uh, Rick, uh, how much would you value this gold digger at? <laughs> oh. uh, and they're just they're just completely loaded, which is why I find it really ridiculous when they have arguments over like forty dollars or like right. wanting someone to buy them lunch. Yeah, when Chumley has at least eight hundred thousand dollars in cars. Have you ever seen that? Like, cause, uh, so the show's been on for a couple of years, and and it's a popular show. So yeah. now they're rich. Has the, have you ever seen it? Because I haven't watched it as much as you. I don't think. But have you ever seen it? Like the richness seep in their changed lifestyle, work its way into the show at all. Sort of last uh, couple, maybe it was this season earlier in the season. Uh, we're about to watch an episode I haven't seen yet either. Uh, Called No Shoes, No Shirt, No Service. No shoes, no shirt, no service. Uh, yeah. So 
uh, they've had stuff come into the store like uh, there was a 69 uh, Roadrunner that came in, GTO, and uh, uh, Big Hoss bought it for himself. Wow. Yeah. But then they were making a huge deal about, about him spending $70,000 or $80,000 on a car. And uh, I'm sitting here while going, yeah, he can afford it. It's, he can afford it's it. Fine. It's yeah, fine. They, they, I mean, they probably make a ton of money off the show and then appearances and all that. And people also, the show, now the store is probably so popular that it's like the I've go been. to place. You have. I've been to the store. Did you interact with one of the stars? No, I went uh, on a Sunday. It was after a comic convention. It was like one of the last things we were doing. Before we drove out, I just said, "Hey, let's just let's just check it out. If there's no line, we'll go." Because every time I've driven by, the line has been bonkers. Now with people with stuff or with just just to go, just, just to, to go, go see what the hell what's going on there. And we went into the store, and it wasn't that busy that day. But you know, all the stuff in there is overpriced. Right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, like not great. It's like still weirdly like it seems. All those guns, those antique guns they buy, are just shoved into a case. Like, they're all, like, touching each other. They're not organized nicely. The watches are, like, you know, there was, like, a Breitling in there, but it wasn't a great Breitling. It's still somehow pawn shop quality merchandise they're mm-hmm. selling. And they're selling a, uh, they're selling a copy of uh, Weird Al's biography, which uh, awesome. he bought on the... I remember the episode where they bought it from the guy, but they're selling it for like 400 bucks. Wait, a copy of his weird Al's weird Al, weird Al, weird Al, sorry, made it, wrote a book right in the right around VH, uh, UHF. So like 89, something. Yeah. Like that. And, uh, you know what? There's one on eBay that I've been watching forever. That's at $180 that no one has been able to move yet. So it's basically, and there's this $400. It's a book that, it's a, he it's wrote a, it's that's a book just, that Al did. It's a cute little book that Al did that, you know, didn't get a huge print. Right. Because of the time, you know, it just didn't. And uh, now it's a sort of a collector's item. Right. You know, aficionados of Al, like us, I think. Uh, yeah. We enjoy Weird Al quite a bit. Uh, they, they're the kind of people who would, uh, would want to buy that. But what's funny is they sell it on, on Pawn Stars. They're selling it for far more than it's worth. And I, fi- I feel like that's a theme thematically in... The Authorized Al by Al Yankovic, circa 1985, actually. Wow, earlier, earlier than I thought it was uh, printed. Uh, there's the cover. I'm showing Craig the cover right there. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, uh, his hair looks nice. Yeah, and it's, it's classic. Sort of, it's a classic short, short curly and with it, the mustache. It's sort of baseball card almost, uh, like, it, the cover looks almost like a uh, Garbage Pail Kids type thing yeah. without the, the uh, gross out stuff. Right. Uh, and this one went for $209. That's the, still, I mean, obviously that's half the price of at Pawn Stars, but that's pretty sweet that that's, I mean, I've never even heard of that. And yeah. I mean, I, lo- I like Weird Al. We all love Weird Al. But uh, I'm saying, like, all the stuff in there is, is more, it costs more than it should. And they're, they're always very clear to tell you that they're negotiable. Uh, and it's the kind of thing I recommend if anybody's a fan of the show or anybody's seen the show and they have any interest at all in going to the store, I say do it if the line's short because it's worth, you know, the 10 minutes it takes to right. walk through the store. Just it's to like going, see what's going on. to Graceland, but much different. It's like going to Graceland much shorter. <laughs> much, much shorter. Uh, and with none and of probably the, as much Elvis stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and none of the talent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now let's, I mean, people listening, they might not know exactly what a pawn, pawn shop is even. Yeah. Let's just explain that idea. The concept of a pawn shop is, uh, you know, before banks were around, people didn't really trust banks. They would go 
to pawns, pawn shops. And what it was was a place that would loan you money ba- for, for your item. They would hold your item as collateral. So if I came in and said, uh, hey, I've got this gold watch, but I'm really hard up for some cash right now. I need a short-term loan. They'll loan it to you for 90 days, take your watch, and after 90 days, if you haven't paid them back, they now own the watch, and they can sell it. Uh, and they also will sell. They'll also trade. Right. Uh, and that's sort of what a pawn shop is. Now, pawn shops I've, are for people who are hard up. Hard up on, for cash. And then I forget, you can't, they don't like display the stuff that hasn't reached that 90 days yet. They Correct. probably just keep that in the back. Correct. It stays in the back until they're ready to clear it and then... Yeah, and you'll see on this show that a lot of people will come in with something that they think has super val- a lot of value or has an emotional value or nostalgia uh, aspect to it, and then they'll be like, oh, this was much less. And, and the yeah. guys who are buying from them are pretty expert at uh, – they bring in experts, and then they basically talk them down. Now, here's, here's something I'm interested in because the description for this one is uh, – uh, Famed guitarist Vic Flick hopes to sell a 1961 Fender Stratocaster that was used in the 007 theme song. Now, a 61 Stratocaster, before going into this, right? The, if, if it's in pretty good condition, a 61 Stratocaster should run you about thirty dollars to $40,000. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. So I'm very curious as to what they're going to say this one is going to be valued at. Yeah, I'll say this too. You are, it seems like you're a collector. You have a bunch yeah. of guitars. Yeah. You have uh, some comic book art. Yep. You have. Uh, I got a bass from, from Fenway Park. Yeah, you've got a second bass, is it? It's, it is second base. And uh, yeah, I collect. Also, I collect original movie posters. I like to have those around. Yeah, you've got a Marx Brothers one that's pretty sweet. I got from a German Marx Ger- Brothers. Germany. Which actually, what I like about that one is uh, it says the Marx Brothers at war. <laughs> that's awesome. That's for Duck Soup. Yes. Correct. Which is. I think a, a better title. Mark Rose at War? Yeah, it's a great title. That's pretty You say sweet. Duck Soup Tumble, they don't know what they're going to ah, get. I don't know. What are you talking about? Um, and you've got a Jaws one. Original Jaws poster I was very excited to find. Well, so what's your, when you're going into buying or trading or however, yep. what's your mindset? Like how do you, uh, how do you go into it? Like you're looking for good deals. You're searching for a specific item. Something I've learned uh, from really from watching – I also watch British antiquing shows. Mm-hmm. Like most people out here are familiar with Antiques Roadshow. But there's also this show called Bargain Hunt, which is a game show where uh, two teams are given an antiques expert and one hour to shop and 300 pounds to buy three items and to put them up at auction and they win whatever the profit is. And it's adorable because a lot of times they'll win five, six pounds. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or the winner will have the least loss. Like, they only lost 27 pounds. Uh, and that show has been fun because I've also been able to see the interaction of what it's like shopper to dealer in those situations. So now when I go into a, uh, like a Comic-Con or something and I'm talking to a dealer, I, will talk, I talk them down. I, I look at the price and I go, meh. Let's do a little bit better than that. And when you're looking at the price, do you like go out to your phone and sort of check things out, or check it on just... eBay? You got to make sure you're not getting screwed out of it. Uh, a fun feature you can do on eBay, if anyone's curious, is you can look at completed listing listings, so you can see actually what stuff is sold for, right. not ridiculous uh, prices people are asking for. Uh, and that's that's pretty helpful too. Like that uh, that Jaws poster was, I got that down to three seventy five. From? From five, okay. I think it was. And uh, what's great about that one is that the that poster now 
framed like that probably go for about a thousand. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and the Ghostbusters poster, which is already linen backed and had some restoring done to it, the guy was asking three, and I got it for two twenty five. That's great. That's a sweet poster. That is a great poster. I still haven't. I've yet to hang it up. But I'm looking forward to one day hanging it up. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, that's so. So you're you've got experience. Yeah. You got some experience. Like and have you and deal? Have you ever been like? Have you ever made a deal and you're like, oh, I messed up? Sure. Yeah, I've bought stuff that I've yeah. paid too much money for. Very often, I find when I impulse buy something on eBay, I spend way too much money on it. Because I see it and I go, oh, I should get this, and then I'm fucked. <laughs> uh, I have a watch that's sitting in, around the corner over here that I spent uh, a thousand something on. That uh, uh, when I got it, I realized that it was far too tiny for a man. <laughs> <laughs> but pH balanced for, for a lady, for a woman. Yeah. So um, wow. That yeah. That that's a bummer. That's a yeah. b- bummer. And then I, I sold it. For the amount that it, you know, I described it correctly, and then this guy uh, got mad and returned it to me because it was too small. And in the ad, I said it's too small. <laughs> uh, it's a cursed a watch. It That's is a not cursed you. watch. That's not you. That's the watch. <laughs> it's the watch. Um, so cool. So we're gonna watch Pawn Stars. Anything? I mean, you are. This is good for you because you're specifically into guitars and James Bond and James Bond. I know you. I mean, you literally recorded another podcast today that was James Bond. I did. I recorded two, almost two hours of us talking about the world is not enough, which I watched some of with you yeah. yesterday, and was boy, that's a doozy, really bad. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see it. And what are you? Let's just go blindly. Yeah, we're gonna read what they have. I just want to see what you think yeah. is going to happen. So we have famed guitarist Vic Flick yep. hopes to sell a '61 Fender Stratocaster that was used in the 007 theme song. Now, my guess is. I mean, he, it, sometimes what they do is, like, they'll be like, it's from the 007 theme song. And then it'll be like, well, it wasn't from the real theme song. You know, right, like, right, right. I'm not saying it's not from that. But, but Vic like. Flick is the guitarist from that, that plays that opening line that everybody knows from James Bond. Vic Flick is that guitarist. However, I will say this because I have knowledge about this. Uh, the guitar that he used to record that opening line is actually a, an arch top. Uh, I forget who the maker of the Archtop is, but that guitar is sitting in a museum and was very recently valued at about $4 million. See, I knew there was a caveat. I knew it wasn't yeah. the... Is it, so it wasn't the bam, ba bam, 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 yeah, bam. So this, this Stratocaster, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's used on the track. If Vic Flick says it's used on the track, it's used on the track. Uh, I'm guessing it played, you know, it just played some backing stuff. But we're going to find out what they say on the History Channel. I don't know. Uh, and I would guess that with the connotation that it has, he's probably going to get or ask for about a hundred and... Twenty-five thousand. Okay, that wouldn't a, be crazy. Okay, I think so, so. That's your guess for that, and then it says <laughs> Corey and Chumley. So this will be the B storyline, yeah. which will be less of less interest. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is the B storyline because the C storyline is ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so the B is Corey and Chumley examine a fully customized 2006 Dodge Magnum. Now I have no concept of cars. I have no concept of most of these things, so I have no idea. I don't even honestly. And I, I like cars a lot, but I sort of steer clear of Dodge kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't know if Dodge Magnum is the truck, is the pickup truck. Mm, it sounds like it would be, or if it's one of their like 
let's redo a challenger type sports car. I don't know. Or it's their one time they made a condom was the 2006 <laughs> Dodge Magnum. It's a four door baby. <laughs> uh, so oh, four, four huge holes in the gun. So let's go ahead and say, I'm going to say without having seen this, I'm going to say that they uh, can't agree on a price because it's fully customized. Which and when just, that happens, yeah. the guys put too much money into it and he's going to want too much money out of it. Right. So I'm, I'm guessing the guy's going to want, let's say, forty thousand, and the, they'll offer book value of like fifteen. They'll offer fifteen thousand. That's what I'm guessing. All right, that's a solid guess. So one hundred twenty-five, yep. then fifteen thousand, and then for this one, Chumley designs a new uniform shirt for the employees. Now, how much do you think that's going to go for? <laughs> that's going to go for free. Okay, uh, <laughs> and I cannot wait to see what this shitty storyline is. Yeah, so they they definitely work in Chumley is the comedic, uh, you yeah. know, uh, and Chumley also very obsessed. Also, you find this out by following his Instagram with streetwear companies like Supreme and the Hundreds and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Big shoe guy right so i'm guessing maybe he works in like the hundreds or something like that or maybe supreme and he's like you know hey guys and then he gets free stuff from them maybe that's what's happening it's a good move we'll find out what austin chumley russell is up to i had no idea that was his name until 18t uverse informed us this episode aired october 24th 2013 and the name is no shoes no shirt no service let's check it out so where did you get this thing this guitar's been with me for years. I've worked on records with uh, Nancy Sinatra and Petula Clark, Tom Jones. It's not unusual. All right. So were you like a studio mus- I musician? I was. I was. From 1958 till about 1983. Did you play with any rock bands and stuff, too? I, I did. Well, I mean, I was part of the of Herman's Hermits. You know? Yeah, I've heard of Herman's Hermits. Yeah, okay, with the silhouette. If you hear the silhouette, that's me playing the solo. I actually worked a little bit with the Beatles. You probably might have heard of the film Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Well, when Ringo's walking around at the end of that film, this guitar is playing Ringo's theme, which is the one he's walking about to. So it does It does have quite a good history. It's got a hell of a history on it. Yeah. yeah. I have a partial list of the, the records that I played on. This is 36 pages. This is how many albums you've been on? Well, albums and films and... This is your name right here, Vic Flick? Vic Flick, that's my name, yeah. So you worked on films too? I worked on films. I worked on Goldfinger, James Bond. Actually played the James Bond theme, which... Uh... You, you played the James Bond theme? Yes. All right, we just uh, pawned it up. Yeah, we did. Um... You were pretty spot on on some of your predictions, predictions. of the show. Yeah, I, uh, su- I was surprised that uh, Vic didn't want more for his uh, Stratocaster. Yeah, so he came in with a white. With an Olympic white, Craig. Olympic white Fender Stratocaster, 1961. Rare color. Rare color. The uh, wood that was used in the fretboard was endangered now. Brazilian rosewood, yes, that is absolutely correct. And uh, he asked for seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, which I, I thought was pretty reasonable. And I said immediately, if I had the money, I would buy that guitar. Which is, yeah. So there's that means there's definitely a collector that would spend that much yeah. money. And he got talked down to fifty five, fifty five thousand dollars. And he, I mean, that was the, uh, the most interesting part of the episode. But he played on. The James Bond theme song, yep. 
Tom Jones. What was the Tom Jones song he said? Uh, it's not unusual. It's not unusual. The Tom Jones song. Vic, jo- Vic Flick was a, was, a, was a session guitarist who played on uh, everything in, in the 60s in England. So the instrumental stuff that you hear during a hard day's night is is Vic Flick. Right. The uh, uh, James Bond, uh, he was in the John Barry Orchestra, which uh, the, did all of James Bond's music in the 60s. Um you know, uh, he was a session musician with Jimmy Page. They even talked about that on the on the show. That he sort of ta- gave him some lessons, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so really, just overall, like a very two guitarists, a very famous guitarist. But that's the thing that makes me wonder why. I mean, fifty five thousand dollars is a lot of money. It's a big chunk of change. Yeah. But you have to assume that he has with his resume that he's got to have a bunch of money in his pocket. Well, I don't know how I don't know how that all worked all the how right. the union, you know, how the union guys got paid. Right, cuz in the 60s it was like a studio deal or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you would get paid for what you got paid. Like I remember uh watching a documentary not long ago about George Martin, mm-hmm. the producer for the Beatles, talking about how uh he was really bummed out in 1963 or 64 that he didn't get a bonus check from EMI a Christmas bonus check that everybody else got, but he had been working so much that he had made over, uh, 3,500 pounds that year. So he made about like 4,000 pounds for the year producing the Beatles records. And so he didn't get a Christmas bonus. That's crazy. Because his, his pay was too high and he was, uh, technically at that pay rate, he was an executive at the, at EMI, which is crazy. Wait, what was that? What was that in American dollars at that time? Oh, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. I don't know how much more or less it was. Yeah, I don't know the exchange rates at all. It's <laughs> a very specific you don't even question. Know them now, do you? <laughs> uh, well, I know the pound. If if you say thirty five hundred pounds, that means like five thousand dollars. Yeah, I know that in nineteen ninety nine, three million thirty thousand pounds was five million dollars. Why do you specifically know that number? Because the world is not enough. Which I watched <laughs> last night. Wait, did they say they, the did, they did a conversion? They did a conversion as part of James investigating. Um, so in this episode, that guitar. Now you're a guitar aficionado. Is yes, that, I subscribe to the magazine. That's guitar aficionado. You also smoke cigar aficionado magazine. I smoke. I roll that magazine up actually and smoke a shredded guitar aficionado in it. <laughs> the truest <laughs> fans of cigar aficionado smoke the magazine. <laughs> it's just the best. It's made out of uh, tobacco paper. Um, so what did you you like that guitar? You thought about you you were interested in that guitar very much. Very much so. And now when you, your personal collection, you were telling me a little bit before we were on the microphones, but what's your, why don't you describe your dream guitar and your favorite guitar that you own? Uh, Well, I have a, as far as like the oldest and most valuable, right over there, Craig, you're looking at a 1950 Gibson. Wow. Wow. Uh, that is a 1950 Gibson, uh, that was converted sometime in the, in the late fifties to have a pickup on it, which it originally did not. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty great sounding old guitar. What's great about old guitars is the wood dries out. And when the wood dries out, they resonate a little bit more. So I, I do like that a lot. I have a 19, another favorite guitar of mine we're looking at on, on the wall over here. I have a 1980 Ibanez AS200. Uh, and if you ever heard John Schofield, the great jazz player, uh, jazz blues player, um, he plays a 1981 
Ibanez AS200. And that is the best playing semi-hollow body guitar I've ever played. And then as far as, like, I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, so I have a 62 reissue Stratocaster because I don't have $35,000 to right. spend on a guitar. Fender was nice enough to make a reissue where they used all the original techniques they used to use. Same woods and stuff like that, minus the Brazilian rosewood, because that's illegal now. Right. Uh, and uh, I do love playing that guitar quite a bit as well. That's pretty pretty sweet. They all look very nice. Yeah, what would yeah. be your What would be your dream guitar out of any guitar in the universe? Uh, if I could own one guitar, yeah, if you could own one guitar. The problem is here's the problem. I'm left handed, right? So my 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 this I want this guitar are they get kind of limited, but I think what I would like being left handed, I would I would uh, I would like Paul McCartney's Epiphone Casino. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Beatles, if people are in the Beatles, if you're not familiar people, with Paul McCartney, he was uh, he was in the Beatles. He was in Wings, <laughs> and he's done some solo work. Some solo work. I think every year he shows up on Letterman for some reason. Yeah, and I believe he once played at the Super Bowl. I believe it was after nine eleven. It, it it sure was. He was rooting for the Patriots that year. Um, and uh, yeah, I would have that Epiphone Casino uh, or. The left-handed Martin D28 that he recorded uh, Blackbird with. Whoa. Now, with an artist like Paul McCartney, I assume he has all of his guitars. He does still because he still uses them, yeah. Right. And that's an interesting thing, too, because that that will be a curious day in, in, in the world of guitar collecting when a big Beatles guitar goes on sale, which they haven't yet. Uh, Danny Harrison... Uh, George's son is in possession of all of George's guitars, uh, and Danny plays. And Danny's, I, it seems like Danny's just going to hang on to him, which he should. Um, you know, uh, nothing against Danny, guys. Nothing, I love it. I love him. There's actually a great app called the George Harrison Guitar Collection, which actually gets you detailed views of all George's guitars. And wow. Danny like talks like Conan O'Brien's on the app playing George's guitars, talking to Danny. It's interesting. When I uh, think George Harrison, I think Conan O'Brien. Who doesn't? Uh, and uh, but it'd be it, that'll be a day because I cannot I can't fathom how much like John Lennon's Rickenbacker would go right. for or Paul McCartney's violin bass the Hofner I can't imagine how that much how much that would go for uh, and and George Harrison's Rickenbacker or his Gretsch uh, those things I just can't even put a figure on how much those would go for I mean those are like at this point art you know what i mean yeah. it's like in that priceless territory where it's like these yeah. are some of the most these instruments have been some of the most important music yeah pieces. it's like it's like somehow saying uh oh guess what uh, this is uh da vinci's palette and brushes right uh you know it's it's like that at this point and uh the weird thing too is that like john lennon's rickenbackers yoko has them tucked away somewhere you know what I mean? Not that she needs it. She's already bastardized the man enough that, uh, you know, it's not a problem. Uh, but it's those kinds of numbers and those figures that I can't even imagine. That's and I crazy. still think, I think the most expensive guitar that would ever get sold would be Stevie Ray Vaughan's number one, uh, which is which is a 62 Sunburst Stratocaster. It's the really beat up guitar that you, if you've ever seen a picture of Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's always playing this really beat up Stratocaster with SRV on the pickguard. Uh, and just knowing guitar collectors, knowing people that have money, knowing the, you know, just the, I think that guitar would sell for 
millions upon millions. Of really? Dollars. Holy crap! Yeah. What is? Do you know? I happen to know what like one of the more expensive ones that's been sold has been. Yeah, Paul Allen, uh, CEO of uh, well, not CEO, but like one of the founders of Microsoft. Paul Allen, who owns the C- Seattle Seahawks, he started the Seattle Music Project. He bought Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner guitar from from Woodstock for how much? Uh, I think a shade over a million. Wow. Eric Clapton's Blackie, which is his black right. Stratocaster, that sold for one point something, one point seven million. Now why would he need to sell that? Good? Why would he? He not sold have... it for Crossroads for charity for his uh, wow. rehab centers. Interesting. Um, and that sold for like over a million dollars, but it sold to Guitar Center. So Guitar Center is in possession of that guitar. Wow. Yeah. That's and that's amazing. That's a lot of moolah for a guitar. Yeah. But it sure uh, is. totally worth it. I mean, now if you if you own that, what do you, you can't play it, right? I mean, like yeah, sure, you could play it. I think you could play it if you own that. I mean, I know Paul Allen played the the uh, Hendrix Strat once, and then it went into his museum. How much do you think the James Taylor uh, guitar that he messed up the beginning line of the Star Spangled Banner at the World Series would go for? Oh, upwards of five, six thousand dollars. Now, a lot of people don't know about this story, but James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> James Taylor is a famous musician from Massachusetts. Now, James Taylor, such songs as Steamroller, uh, Fire and Rain. Uh, I thought you were going for real deep cuts <laughs> by saying Steamroller. Um, he, yeah, he messed up the first. He's saying he started uh, to America sing the America the Beautiful instead of. Uh, uh, the Star Spangled Banner, and but he recovers like a champ. He, he covered it up pretty nicely. Um, how would he, so this episode that we watched of um, Pond Stars of Pond Stars was I feel like pretty par for the course. I forgot because I haven't watched this in a while. It's funny because we watched it on the DVR, so we saw the tail end of one episode and the uh, before we watched, then after we watched the very beginning of the next episode, and it just showed how extremely formulaic it was. That it basically always starts with Chumley walking in and being like, hey, guys, I have this stupid idea. And then by the end, it's like, hey, guys, let me show you the finished project of my stupid idea. Yeah, you just pretty much (laughs) nailed their C storyline. Yeah, because in the beginning, the episode that was on before it, it was that he painted a Mount, he got somebody to paint a Mount Rushmore style Yeah, he got a street artist to do it because he's really into the street scene. He's into the street scene, you know. And then in the episode we watched, he his whole thing was um, the uniform at at uh, gold. What's it called again? Gold and silver pond. Gold and silver pond uh, was to it didn't express anything, and he went in and tried to do it hip hop style. Yeah, he tried to do a streetwear style pawn pawn shop shirt, which uh, you know I looked at it. I was like, yeah, that that could be a thing that people would wear, uh, you know, and. Uh, Turns out the price was a little too rich for one hundred and fourteen dollars or something like that. And uh, yeah, though he can afford a Rolls Royce, he was like, "Ah, I can't do this." And then he made a cheap one online that was gray, and he came in with the stain on it, which yeah, which was the comedy level at this point now (laughs) is off the charts, off the charts. You know, I'm surprised that do you ever watch uh, Storage Wars? Yes, you know, like the. I forget their names, but the guy with the sunglasses who has the girlfriend that they're... Jared. Yeah, Jared, Jared. and Brandy. They they obviously ha- have a t-shirt company or are sponsored Outlaw by... Outlaw Clothing. T- yeah. Wait, yeah. What's it called? Outlaw Clothing. Outlaw Clothing. The uh, the 
O and the W are handcuffs. handcuffs. <laughs> right. So they either own it or they... They own it. Yeah, so I'm surprised that they, like Chumley doesn't have his own line of uh, hats or... Yeah. Do you know anybody who has an outlaw t-shirt? No, that no, would I be don't. pretty. No, I don't. And if you're if you're into it next weekend, I'd be glad to uh, take a drive down to their shop. Have you been there? No. Whoa! I forgot that that's in L.A. Yeah. Oh man, I might be interested in going there. <laughs> but their whole thing is now. I haven't watched that in a while either. But the, on uh, Storage Wars, their whole thing is like. It's just a shop, right? It's yeah. not like they're yeah. not the high end dealers. They're like let's right. fill, let's they stack, fill the our, let's just fill our thrift store. Right, exactly. And if uh, Macklemore taught us anything, right, it's, uh, that you can have a really good time in a thrift shop. Wait, remind me which song that is. I'm not very I hip to the Macklemore. I think it's called uh, "Want to I Want to Spend Less Money." Uh-huh. Got twenty dollars in my pocket. Right, gonna have a good time shopping. Go Goodwill, something like that. Wow. I don't give me a little bit of the tune because obviously I don't have lyrics. I'd only know the tune. You hum, know, you can just hum it. Um, uh, uh, I really don't. I don't know how to hum. It's a secret. This is uh, what song I was thinking is, is that tonight's going to be a good time. <laughs> but that's uh, no, that's Black Eyed Peas. No, uh, it's I don't I don't I just know the the hook I think has got twenty dollars in my a pocket. pocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I know that's that one. Song. Um, yeah, I don't know much about Macklemore except for I watched an Instagram uh, of him for work and it was uh, not worth my time. <laughs> not great. Not not worth my time to uh, check him out. So one of the other things that was sold on this, what was the uh, the second? Oh, the first one that they showed was that car, the Dodge Magnum, which it turns out, guys, station wagon. Not what we expected. It was a. I'd say a fairly, I don't know too much about cars, but that wasn't, beyond the paint job, that wasn't like a good looking car, right? It was like a station wagon that was sort of beefed up, right? It was a station wagon that the guy decided to make look like, as he called it, a battleship. Right, which looked more like something that, uh, like from Mad Max, if Mad Max was about uh, carpools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's about carpal tunnel syndrome. It's about carpal tunnel <laughs> syndrome. Uh, it's a little, little bit of hand cramps, and the so he painted it all like rusty, yeah, and like bolts. with rivets, like panels. But yeah. the worst part was, and he didn't explain it. I don't know if this is a hip thing to do because I'm an old man, but he made the doors that so they don't open. He the way them, they open, yeah. they will open the opposite way. Yeah, he made them suicide doors, which are common on Lincolns back in the 30s. And they're door. called suicide doors because pretty much you open it and you die yeah. if you're driving. Because yeah. the wind will, guys, the wind will gust. It'll take it right out of you. You're, yeah. you're, you're going to die. You're, you're going dead to man. die. Don't so, open the door. But you were pretty straight up right about the cost of the car. Yeah, I thought he was going to go. Kelly, I said Kelly Blue Book would be around 15000 uh, turns out it was sixteen thousand. Yep. And uh, as they do on this show, which I forgot, the main part of the show is to offer half of the value. Right. Uh, so oh, but then the whole thing was. It, oh my yeah. god! Yeah. And then <laughs> this was really weird, and I feel like this show because the storylines with Chumley are super boring. I mean, they're just so um, manufactured, and they're so you know you've seen them every episode, yeah. formulaic. And then I just want to know what this guy's story was because he wanted what? How much did he ask for initially? He asked for $35,000. He asked for $35,000, which means like I want this much money. But again, the car had 103,000 miles on it. Right, which is a lot of miles on it. So he's used that car. Then they offer him $3,000 to pawn it. Yep. 
They were going to give him 6500 so they could just keep the car. And then they would sell it for Blue Book. Uh, but uh, Big Haas goes, hey, you want to pawn it? I'll give you three grand. And he takes it. And then and then explicitly tells the camera he's going to go lose it in Las Vegas. Yeah, he goes like, well, I'm going to go party at the casinos tonight. Which is like, I guess, I mean, I have to assume somebody like that is just doing the show on a lark. They must be, or they're either rich or stupid. <laughs> I think it's more the latter. Yeah, that's yeah. just such a dumb, like, I want to know, that's why this show, I feel like, I want to know a little bit more about them. You know, like when you watch, yeah, we're going to get into uh, other show, but I saw that it was on your DVR, but American Pickers, yeah, you find a little bit about the story of the people that yeah. are, that they're visiting. Yeah. Because those are people that they, you know, regardless of whether or not a producer finds them and they're not really running around picking, I don't know how the show works production wise, but you find out what these, why these people are hoarding, what started them collecting and, 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 you know, you find out a little bit about everything that they pick up. Yeah, You know, like, oh, where'd you get this? Uh, I bought that when I was 12 with the blah, blah, blah. And that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, <laughs> but this show, this is the first, I, I feel like the first of its kind. And this is an interesting thing because this guy, Rick Harrison, there's a clip on YouTube. I encourage everybody at home to watch it of back when Dave Attell was doing his late night show for Comedy Insomniac. Central. Yep. He went to this pawn shop. Wow. And hung out with Rick for a night. Whoa. On the overnight shift. I loved that show. Yeah. Wow, I would love to watch that clip. Yeah, and a guy brought a, a VCR to Pond. And Rick looks very much like he is sick with some sort of disease. Oh, He my looks God. very different. He has a hat on, some hair. Wow. It's pretty interesting. I'm pretty interested to see that. Now, The I have to assume the pawn shop wasn't the status that it is now. Correct. If they're just showing yeah. a VCR coming in. Yeah. But at the same time, he must have some savvy or something to get on that show. Yeah, and they've been, uh, from what I hear, pray tell, the rumors around town are that they've had a they had a sizzle reel cut for a, for a pawn shop, and Rick's been trying to get a show made for years. Wow! And finally, the History Channel is like, all right, we'll do it, and now it's their number one rated show. It's so weird. I feel like that there is a total. I was reading this is different but similar in selling yourself, but uh, there was a v- article in Vice about this woman who represents all of these um, like D level celebrities, like, like Tan like Mom and the like. Tan Mom, Farrah Abram, yeah, uh, Abramson, or yeah, Abraham. I heard her on Stern. Yeah, and uh, she is this woman who I forget what she originally did. She did acting. She had like a you know some acting credits here and there. Went into porn for like a year or two. It was terrible, as you have to assume that that is. And then she wanted to get out of it, and uh, she basically created this business as a manager. She like represented Michael Lohan, Tan Mom, uh, Farrah Abraham. And she, but it's such a body feeding mentality. It's a who's not. Yeah, it's it's so depressing. But there is that thing of the, these people that are obviously Rick from the show is savvy. But uh, there's that sort of new. I feel like that new thing of people just being like, "Well, I'm I do this. Is there any way I can sell myself?" <laughs> but he's i mean this guy knows how to fucking grow a business no this is this is the good version of it yeah but it's interesting too like you you could see in the early episodes of the show once the show started airing like i think in that first season you start to see in the shop you could see in the background 
T-shirts popping up with Chumley's right. face on them. Oh, just these little money-making things that he kept trying to do. And I think when they renegotiated their deal with History Channel, I feel like they all—I feel like they each got millions of dollars to keep doing the show, which is amazing. It's amazing, but it's also. As far as the History Channel is concerned, I feel like it's it's money well spent. Yes. Because they're, it's a show that you can crank out and crank out and crank out. Because you're never going to run out of stories associated with items that come into a pawn shop. Right. Uh, and there is some sort of guise of historical factuality to what they're bringing in. Right. Uh, and it's always going to do pretty well in the ratings. Yes. You know, it's just, it seems like a home run. Yeah, it is a home run. I don't even know, what are the other, does History Channel do Duck Dynasty? No, that's... But it's A&E, which is all under the same umbrella. Yeah, that seems like the, so, the, and what does History Channel itself have that's also like a hit? Well, well, History Channel has this, American Pickers, American Restoration. Right. Uh, Counts Customs, which is now a spinoff of The Car Guy. That's with Count Dracula. Yeah, it's Count, obviously. Uh, happens at night. It's in Transylvania. It's a different thing. Right. But he does customize cars. Right. Uh, but it's funny. He's a spinoff. Pawn Stars had the spinoff of uh, American Restoration. Right, which is Rick the was guy, the guy they yeah. would bring beat-up Coke machines to. And I enjoy that show, too. I love I that it. show, too. Uh, and then the other spinoff of that was was Count's Customs. Count is the car guy. Okay, the big Count car Dracula. guy that looks like, he looks like Count Dracula or The Undertaker, however mm-hmm. you feel like uh, looking at him. And, uh, and then off of that, I was reading a story about them getting super pissed off at History Channel for spinning off Pawn Stars into uh, Pawn Stars... What is it? The Louisiana one? Pawn Stars in New Orleans? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. There was another Pawn Stars, and those guys didn't know about it, and they were really pissed off. Yeah, that would be that would piss me off. That's my name. That's my show. Yep, yep. And uh, as far as I can tell, that show's not coming back. Um, And yeah, and Storage Wars also has those things. Did you see that? It was super depressing. I watched some episodes of the New York Storage Wars, and one of the guys in the show, not on air, but he committed suicide. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the or no, was you're he thinking found of the guy, dead or was? Are he, you thinking of Mark Bello? Mm, he was, no, he's like one of the shady guy. Uh, maybe one of the shady guys on the New York version. Oh, because this is a shady guy on the L.A. version that killed himself. So you're, are you saying two people associated with Ponster has killed themselves? Oh, you know what? It is the L.A. version, yeah, not the Mark New York Bello. version. Yes. Yeah, I'm wrong. The guy that the, that found a Nintendo and said it was going to be worth $10,000? Yes. Yeah. I remember that yeah. episode. Yeah, that Wait, guy. why did he think it was like a special I data board know. or something? I don't know. Yeah, that guy, he was like uh, mixed up in some bad yeah. stuff. And he looked. He was the guy who'd bring like a little like... Man purse with... Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you know that there's something a little fishy, a little bit weird. And it's interesting too, like the whole thing with Dave Hester no longer being on the show. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Uh, so. And for we're getting, I feel like these shows are all linked. They're so. all linked, and if you've seen either show, you've seen the other show. The guy Dave Hester is is the guy. Well, I watched uh, an episode of Surge Wars with Dana Snyder. So if you're listening, you can hear us talk about David Hester at length. But I don't think at that point he was he was uh, off the show. He's the guy who goes, "Yup, yup." Why was he thrown off the show? Because, wait, my guess is, didn't he wear the hats that advertised his place? Yes, but you're incorrect. What's what's the deal? He was getting annoyed with the show for doing what they call salting the lockers. 
and salting the lockers is the term they use for putting shit in the lockers that weren't in the lockers. Why do they call it salting? I don't just know. Just it tastes better. Just, I guess, a term He's they a purist. Use. He uh, it weirdly in that sense he was a purist yeah and uh, he got mad about that and then they were renegotiating contracts and he wanted too much money and then he ended up like suing I think it might still be in the courts but he's like suing them under the quiz show law of like presenting a false game show to the American people hmm. you know which is not doesn't seem at all what yeah it's not a game show to me it's not a game show it's yeah we're watching and i feel like i mean i guess we're more tv savvy than maybe the average tv watcher but i always assume that they were peppering stuff in i call peppering they call it salting well they like a little less spice Mm -hmm. i like a little bit of spice on my storage units (laughs) um and uh, the the final thing in this episode that they showed, which was not notable enough for them to uh, even put in the description, even put in the description was uh, little pictures from eighteen hundreds um, schools, schools, yeah, uh, learning what a preposition is with a nice little drawn picture, right? And then a uh, I forget what they called it, book but a, tag, a book tag, which was like a, a which is like a brass plate. Where kids would, uh, that's where they'd have their, their letters to uh, to learn. Right. So they'd see what an A looks like and then write down. And they a. sort of only went half-assed on that because they're like, if it's real, if, if you find out it's real, bring it back. I'll yeah, because it. it's, you know, apparently those book tags, are, which are little brass plates, are worth uh, 1500 bucks. Which, who knew? Who knew? I'll I, tell you who knew. Rick Harrison knew. Rick Harrison knew. Now, you, the, now this is a family operation. I have to ask you because you, uh, you've mentioned your, uh, a former job of yours. I don't know if it was a family operation, but you worked in a... I worked in a funeral home. Funeral home. Yes, it was not my family operation. But it was but a, fa- it was a family run business. seems to me like that would be... Maybe it's because of Six Feet Under or because... Yeah, no, it's very much like that, yeah. Um, but that was... Was there a Chumley there? I guess I would would have been the Chumley. You were the Chumley. I would have been the Chumley of the funeral home, You I were suppose. the Chumley. I was the one that got us the t-shirts that said, we put the fun in funeral. <laughs> now, that was there comedic... There has to be some comedic relief there. When oh, you're, plenty. What's, the, what's the, the average day like there in terms of like just getting through the day what's like that? what is it tell like is there a funeral that day like what's the what's the, what would me. be now uh yeah let's say a day let's hear a little bit about a day with a funeral one with that yeah uh funeral day let's say there's a nine o'clock uh nine o'clock mass so we'd have to get there two hours before so we get there about seven family starts arriving around seven thirty. essentially then it's our jobs to uh park the cars for everybody show everybody in they go in for the morning viewing uh, and then, you know, depending on how far away the church is, we call over the loudspeaker of the church so that everyone can go out to their cars. We would actually call individually families to go out to the cars and then they start lining up for the procession. And then we go to the church. Uh, during this time, I'm in a vehicle. I'm either driving, I've driven the hearse before in the procession. I've driven the limo in the procession, but most of the time I was a scout. Uh, and, 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 and the way we did it at McDonough's. Uh, a scout was a car that would tail the procession uh, or lead the procession, but come off of the procession to block intersections. So no one would cut through the... uh, Right. And we had radios and we had flashing lights, and that was that stuff. We'd get to the church. You know, I'd either be a pallbearer, help the pallbearers, do whatever, get the doors. You know, there were certain tasks that had to be done, and it was never like... 
no one always did the same thing. So we all sort of like did whatever. Right. Um, removing the pall, which is, uh, it was, a you know, mostly Catholic uh, funeral home situation, mostly Catholic churches. So the pall is the uh, fabric that goes over the casket. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. I, I looked at you and you're like, what the fuck's that? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we would handle that. We'd do all that. And then uh, after about a 45 minute mass, uh, we would then go out with the casket out into the hearse. Then, uh, same thing procession wise to the cemetery, get to the cemetery, grab the pallbearers, tell them to come. And then they bring it over, put it on the grave, the open grave with the, uh, with like the stand for it, the wheels, the the thing that can lower, you know? Um, and then we would, uh, we would do the funeral last rites would be read, not last rites, but, uh, the funeral prayer would be read. Uh, priest was there, blessed the cop and da 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 Great family leaves. <laughs> Easy street. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, it's up to like a couple of us to stand behind and wait for the casket uh, to get lowered and then into the vault and then the dirt goes on and then we're good to go. Head back to the funeral home. Take a look, see what's going on. If no just one's dead, out. just a just a relaxing, fun day with my friends. Uh, just hanging out, you know. Uh, but a lot of days it's like running paperwork. You got to go get a death certificate. You got to go get a permit for the burial. You got to go bring checks to places. You got to go drop flowers off. A lot of times families wouldn't want all the funeral flowers back at the house at their house. So we would then, they'd usually instruct us, Oh, donate these to, uh, this hospital or donate these to this nursing home. And then we'd bring all the flowers there, put them up, you know, wherever they wanted us to put them. Uh, Sometimes they would just end up at the grave, you know. Uh, so that was usually afterwards, and then it would be lunchtime, and then we'd try to figure out where we're going to lunch. <laughs> uh, we'd usually order something in, some pizza, whatever. Mm. Uh, and then at any time during the day, someone, you know, might come in for some prearrangements, you know, or come in for regular arrangements if someone died. If someone died, we'd have to go get them wherever they were, you know, so that'd be a re- that's what we called a removal. And you were part of removals. the removals? Yeah, I would do removals, yeah. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, if it was... Uh, what was, a, like, the first time you did that? That must have been pretty intense. Well, the first time I did it, I just tagged along, and right. I was just hanging out uh, with my buddy. Actually, what happened was I was hanging out so much. My best friends, John and Joe, they their family owned the funeral home, and I was hanging out so much that, like, it'd be, like, 11.30 at night, and they'd be like, oh, we got to go move a casket. You mean you'd just be hanging, just hanging out separate from work, just be separate from work. We would just be hanging out in high school and stuff, and we'd be hanging out at their house, which was next door to the funeral home. So we hung out so much that like they'd be like eleven o'clock, and they had to like go get a casket out and do something before the morning, and we'd do it super late. But you know, it wasn't like I'm going to go home because it would take fifteen minutes, so that we would just go over together. And sort of do it. And it just turned to a point where, like, I was around so much that they were like, uh, just get a suit and, and we'll start paying you. Uh, and that's sort of how I ended up working at the funeral home. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's like a, that's a real family yeah. place that you just were welcomed into the yeah. funeral home. Oh, it was great. I loved those guys. Uh, still, they're still, I, they're, they're like brothers to me. I still go home. What's funny is I went home right before we started uh, at midnight. I was home doing... I opened for Hardwick at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. And that morning, I was in Lowell vacuuming at the funeral home. (laughs) 
going back to the just, roots. Yeah, just you know, because if I'm there, I'll help. You know, yeah, I don't know. That's really great. Now, was there anything? What would be like the most surprising? What would like? What which don't I know about that? That would be like, oh my god, I can't believe that. That's um, clothes are almost always cut up the back. Uh, we don't like if you buy a new suit. I'm sorry, but we're gonna cut it in half because it's a lot easier to put on your dead relative that way. Oh man! Uh, everybody wears uh, there's like rubber boxers. It's not really a butt plug situation <laughs> that people think it is. Oh, it's more of a just throw on some rubber boxers. Nothing's gonna leak. Um, the uh, autopsied people are a pain in the ass to embalm. Why? But it, the the because they're just so cut up. Like it's the big ass oh, Y yeah. incision, you know. Oh boy! And uh, but it's easy to find. The so you were doing embalmer. You were involved in it. I wasn't. I wasn't. No, we had an embalmer named Dicky, uh, and he did it mostly. But I mean, I would be around. All, right. You know, I'd be in the morgue. You know, hanging out. So you're just cool with dead people now. I am cool with dead people now. Very, very desensitized to it. Yeah, you must have had, like have a different view of. I that. do. You know, after a while, you know, burying. I don't know how many funerals I worked in my four years there. Probably three hundred, three hundred fifty, something like that. And the only time it would ever affect me or bother me was when it was a uh, uh, a parent with young kids right. that had passed away, or young kids that passed away. Those are the only uh. two times. Those are the only two situations where i was like fuck this man that yeah. sucks for this family and stuff like that but most of the other times it was just like yeah this is you know this is kind of what happens yeah. in life and now when i go to funerals or when i would go to funerals for relatives or friends relatives um i would just sort of be uh i would be there just more of an observer you know right like observing it in the way that now i observe stand-ups so you're sort of, you mean like judging the funeral? Huh? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. Or like the way you would go, like, all right, yeah, yeah. All the right. way you would go to an improv show. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, well, eh. I would have done it this <laughs> way. All right, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, uh, like judging how much the, they spent on the caskets. So you like can that. never fully enjoy a funeral. Anymore. I can never really get what I'm supposed to get out of it. Oh man, that is so crazy. Yeah. Now, I, that to me also seems, I mean, wow, that would never be a TV show, but that would be so interesting. It was on oh, wait, A&E, Family Plots. Whoa. Family it's- Plots. It was a show on A&E for a season uh, with a funeral who would home. Agree? A funeral home in the South. And I think that's exactly why it only got one season. Because who would agree to have their family, like you're yeah. grieving yeah. one of the worst days of your life yeah. or a, yeah. a, a very emotional day of your life. And then there's a camera crew being like, so... um, what was like the funniest thing about yeah, your, the, your right. loved one? That kind of, I don't understand it. Like, I, oh my God. And the producers who worked on that, I don't envy that job of being like, um, I know like they yeah. just died, but like, Oh God. And the, well, the thing too, like the, the, the show that I find that was the closest as far as a family business and how I've seen it operate was the, uh, orange County choppers. I don't know what the fuck that show was called. American choppers. American choppers. Yeah. Like the way that the brother and the father would fight. Right. Or the, the older son and the father would fight. Like, that's just exactly how it is. Like, that's how it seems like all family businesses are to me. Except for ta- instead of talking about the body of a mu- bike, they'd be talking about the body of a dead person. Yeah. And there would be stuff that would happen like, uh, uh, like forgetting to, like, 
call the church organist and then they're not being music at the funeral like that happened i'm just picturing like you jumping behind i guess i better play holy 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 (laughs) um you know stuff like that we lost somebody's glasses one time but fucking like we turned that place over to find those glasses and did you find them I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember the search. Like, it was like... Because we would never, never want... We would never want to, like, lose anything oh, of that course, was given yeah. to us or anything like that. Like, we take that stuff very seriously. And that was just... That... that Looking for that, I vividly remember just, like, we were... We tore the whole place apart trying to find these glasses <laughs> that went on this lovely uh, dead woman's face. Oh. That's such a fine way to put it. Yeah. Um, now just dipping back into the Pawn Star Arena mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. after indulging me with hearing, let me hear about the funeral. Uh, if you had to come up with a drinking game for this episode of Pawn Stars or the series as a whole, yeah, sure. What would be your time to drink, and yeah. what would the drink of choice be? Okay, uh, it'd be something. Uh Gold and Silver Pond Shop, right? So I'm going to say Gold Schlager. Gold Schlager. That's what I was yeah. uh, thinking, too, which I think might be the drink that we used in the last episode of uh, for Shark Tank. Was no. Gold Schlager. You're not, I think. You're not wrong. Uh, and uh, I think what you would have to do is drink. Uh, drink whenever anyone makes a joke at Chumley's expense. Right. And drink whenever... Someone has says we got to make a profit. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, they're yeah, like when he says, "Listen, I got to make a profit yep. here off yep. of this." I'd also say anytime Chumley uh, mispronounces a word or like yep. makes up his own, because I think he's like, "I've got a lot of creativism, creativityism, or something yeah. in this episode," uh, <laughs> or whenever the old man uh, is made fun of. I yeah. think it's a good time to drink too, or whenever he says some one some weird colloquialism he made up. I sort of like I don't know if he had a stroke at some point or something, but it seems like he has some some or if he's just old age has uh weathered yeah. him so I saw a TMZ show photo of him and his wife at Disneyland enjoying their time. And I love that old, that makes TMZ. That two old dudes. There's I mean not too old, but an old uh, an old couple on we'll, a, on scooters. We'll call the woman a dude. <laughs> yeah. Why not? They're just hanging out on scooters riding through Disney. Um, um, but I wonder, like, how much enjoyment he gets out of this show. I, I feel like he, I, I hope he, he does enjoy it. I he hope de- he does. He definitely plays the game. Yeah, he definitely he, has fun with it. Yeah, he's probably the producer's favorite. Oh, absolutely. I, unless he's like just like a dirty old man, which I also hope that would be really. He's like, hey, there, sexual lady. Um, I always wonder how their uh, how the brother, how Corey's other brother feels. Wait, there's another brother. That's there's not- another brother that's a plumber. And not that involved. didn't like the pawn business, and that didn't go into it. He decided to become a tradesman and tr- decided to become a plumber. Whoa! So now his brother and his dad are millionaires. But he might be happy doing his plying his trade. You know what? I hope you are, buddy. Corey is that his name? No, that's the Corey's brother. I hope other Harrison. I hope you're very happy. Uh, George Harrison's son. George Harrison. Danny Harrison. Danny Harrison. We hope you're happy, and we hope at some point you put one of those on eBay. Yeah, just I want to see what that goes. But we like the app. That's yeah, good. The app's enough. great. It's ten bucks, but I thought it was worth it. Um, well, I thank you so much, Matt, uh, you, for Greg. enjoying Pawn Stars with me. Is there anything you want to plug, or uh, just a final parting word for the listeners at home or on and traveling or doing whatever? Yeah, uh, just hang in there, guys. Eventually, every every day you don't have to go into a pawn shop is a good day. That's true. 
Yeah, just uh, hold on to that. And if you're going into a pawn shop today, it happened to me, it gets better. Yeah, it'll get better. You know, maybe when you're walking out of there with your cold, hard cash, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn around from there. But don't go straight to that casino. Please don't go straight to the casino. Put don't some... have a night on the town with the wife, Vic. Oh, gosh. Vic Flick. Vic Flick. Don't take $55,000 out. Casinos. That'd be awesome if they they should just have an after show where it's just like them like making it rain at strip clubs, just like Vic Flick, is <laughs> a seventy year old British man. I just love uh, it. oh man, I love it. That's uh, so. We'll be back next time with the Pawn Star After Show. Uh, thanks so much, Matt. Thank you, Craig. I'd like to thank my guest, Matt Myra, not only for uh, being on the show and being a delight, but also for letting me stay at his apartment for about a week. That was very nice of him. So he's an official friend of the show. Uh, Send him gifts. Send him uh, support. Send him love. Uh, If you're a fan of the podcast, uh, become a fan on Facebook. It's that episode. Follow me on Twitter, Craig Rowan. And you know what? Why don't you leave a review on iTunes if you feel like it? It can't hurt it can only help uh, unless by accident when you're doing it um you you're walking to the desk to get on the computer to do it and you trip and you fall and you hurt yourself and then that's but that's your fault you're a klutz uh thanks so much for listening have a great night and an early manana adios amigos <laughs>